Great singing tonight. I really appreciate it. Just worshiping and praising the Lord with you. And now we turn to his precious word. And as we do, we're going to pick up right where we left off. John chapter 1. We'll be looking tonight at verses 35 through 51. And what we are going to do, this is a longer section, but we're going to finish John chapter 1 tonight. And then next week, as you know, we're going to move into our uh, missions conference. And uh, so this is a longer section, but it all ties together. It's all one unit as happens sometimes in the Bible. And so I'm not going to read it all to begin with. I'm just going to address it as in sections as we move along tonight. And so our first point tonight is an example to follow. In John 1, 35 through 51, we see a beautiful example of the importance and priority of sharing our faith in Christ with our family and friends. This is really an interesting section. I was reading a while back about a group of Christians, kind of a sect of Christians And they had come up with what they thought was a really clever way to evangelize. And what they did is they kind of had their own gospel presentation. And they would have all of their members just memorize this gospel presentation. So they had it all memorized. And then they would go out and they would go out to streets or to beaches or to different public areas And each of their members would walk up to someone and they would just give this memorized gospel presentation. Then they would turn and walk away. And then they'd go to another person. And then they'd go to another person. And their thought was, hey, I gave them the gospel. Ball's in their court. They either believe it or they reject it. I've done my job. There's nothing more that I need to do. Now, you need to understand tonight, that's not biblical evangelism. But, I wonder sometimes if we're guilty of something similar. I remember years ago, I was talking with a man who was a believer, and he was sharing with me his testimony of how he came to know Christ. And he didn't know, he didn't come to know Christ until he was well into his adult years. But he was saying back when he was unsaved, in a place where he worked, there was a Christian co-worker, and this Christian co-worker befriended him. And then came a point when they became friends that this Christian co-worker presented the gospel to him. And he said, at that time, I just wasn't ready. There was, I had more questions, there were things I didn't understand, so at that time I just said, no, I'm not ready. And he said, that Christian co-worker never spoke with me again. That Christian co-worker never had anything to do with me. It was like I was an object, and once I didn't take what he offered, he had nothing more to do with me. And folks, that's not biblical evangelism either. Now, this man, through the witness of other people, eventually did come to know Christ after the gospel had been presented to him a number of times. 
But he said he always looked back disheartened and hurt by how this Christian man had treated him. We need to understand that evangelism is something where we engage with people and we love people and we answer questions and we listen carefully and we share sincerely from scripture and it may take multiple multiple times of hearing the gospel before someone comes to know Christ but we are called in scripture to care for people whether they believe or not and to keep caring for them whether they believe or not because that's what evangelism is all about really appreciate what Chad shared tonight about Craig and Shelley. I thought you did an excellent job, Chad, of really explaining that, that this complicated situation they are in. But one of the things I know is Roger and Roseanne were um, communicating with me through email about this whole situation daily is um, Craig faced a really hard situation. And that is... They felt like they needed to evacuate, but Craig was wondering if he should stay there and the family should evacuate because he cared. He cares about those core believers and he didn't want to just leave them behind. And we see that so often in missions. Man, do I just abandon those believers while we evacuate? And now it was the decision of Ethnos 360 to evacuate the whole family. That was their decision and Craig honored that. And as Chad mentioned um, Craig may come go back in on Tuesday. Um, but you know what? They, they love those people, and that's what missionaries do. Uh, that's what Preston and Stephanie are going to do. They're going to love people. They may not believe right away, but they are called to share Christ with them. In this passage, we see that Andrew, when he comes to believe in Jesus, first thing he does is he finds his brother Simon. Because he cares about him. It's his brother. And Philip finds his friend Nathaniel. And this is a wonderful account of people coming to Christ and then wanting to share him with others. If you remember back a few weeks ago, John the Baptist gives us a wonderful pattern for evangelism. In John chapter 1 and verses 6 through 8, it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so, as I shared with you a few weeks back, there are three things that John exemplifies for us. He's not the light. It's not about us. We don't just talk about ourselves. But we come to bear witness of the light. We come to share about Jesus, about his beauty, about his saving power, about the power of the cross that we just sang about tonight. And the goal is that they might believe through our witness, that eventually they might believe. So we keep sharing about the light that they might believe. And so two disciples of John the Baptist become Jesus followers and disciples and this follows directly from what i shared with you this morning in verses 35 through 39 we read the next day again john was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at jesus as he walked by and said behold the lamb of god the two disciples heard him say this and they followed jesus 
Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now the tenth hour was about four o'clock in the afternoon. You know what's interesting? Evidently, these two disciples were deeply convicted by John's statement, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the gospel. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they follow Jesus. Now, interesting kind of side note here. And we're going to see more of this as we move through the Gospel of John. But the ministry of John the Baptist is starting to vanish. All these great crowds flock to him, but now his ministry is vanishing and his disciples are now following Jesus, which is what he wanted all along. But John the Baptist didn't care. We will see in John 3 where he says of Jesus, he must increase. And I must decrease. And we're already seeing that begin to happen. And Jesus asks them when they follow him, what are you seeking? Interesting question. We see throughout the Gospels that sometimes people would seek Jesus for wrong reasons. Sometimes they wanted food. Sometimes they wanted Jesus to solve all their problems. Sometimes they wanted him to be the one who would conquer the Roman oppressor's whose thumb they were under. Jesus wants to know, what are you seeking? Are you seeking the truth? Now in verses 40 through 42, it says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, in verse 41, it says, Andrew says to Simon, We have found the Messiah. And you think, Wow, that's, that's a lot of understanding in a short period of time. How did Andrew know that? How did he know that so clearly? Well, of course, He had been taught under the ministry of John the Baptist. But there's something really intriguing. And we back up to verse 39. Jesus said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. As I mentioned, at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So from 4 o'clock in the afternoon onward that evening, they were with Jesus. Don't you wonder what they talked about? Wouldn't you have loved to have been part of that conversation? I don't know exactly what they talked about, but I have a good guess, and so do you. Remember when Jesus was walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in the Gospel of Luke? They didn't know it was Jesus, but as he walked with them, remember what he said to them. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses 
and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Do you know what I think Jesus talked to Andrew and the other disciple about? I think he began with Moses and all the prophets and showed them from the scriptures all the things concerning himself. So that when we come to verse 41, Andrew could say to Simon, we have found the Messiah. This is the Christ. And notice in verse 42, that Jesus, when he speaks to Simon, immediately changes his name. He has authority to change his name and to change his destiny. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And it's just a reminder to us that when we come to Jesus, Jesus has a claim on our lives. And When we come to him, he not only claims our lives, but he claims our destiny. And we have seen this so much throughout the history of Christianity. There is a man or a woman, and they have all these plans in life. They have these career plans. They have their life kind of all planned out for them. And then they come to Jesus, and things change. And when they come to Jesus, all of a sudden, the things that were important before are no longer important. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, he steers them in a completely different direction. And that's what he does with Simon. Well, our second point tonight is a sovereign savior. Philip has a life-changing salvation encounter with Jesus and immediately seeks out his friend, Nathaniel. In verses 43 through 46, we read, the next day, okay, the next day, after he is with Andrew and the other disciple and with Simon Peter, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Notice that, the same city. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. Notice the simple call of salvation from Jesus to Philip. Follow me now. I personally believe, you're welcome to disagree with me, that when it says follow me, there's a lot of groundwork there that we don't always know about. There may have been a lot more to that conversation because when we come to verse 45, we know that Philip knows a lot about Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, again, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That is exactly the same thing that Andrew said 
to Simon when he said, we have found the Messiah. So Andrew says to Simon, we have found the Messiah. Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah, which reminds us of how the Jewish people longed for, hoped for the coming of the great Savior, the coming of the Messiah. Now, Nathaniel is amazed at how much Jesus knows about him, even though they have never met. Verses 47 through 51 are so intriguing. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. Okay, Philip says, hey, we have found this one that Moses and the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus sees Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I want you to notice tonight, and if you've read the Gospel of John, you know this. Jesus thoroughly knows Nathaniel before Nathaniel ever meets him. And he knows him on the inside. And he knows him on the outside. He knows him on the inside. Verse 47. He said, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Evidently, Nathaniel was a man of integrity. He was what we would say a straight shooter. In fact, he says to Philip, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And that's when Philip says, Come and see. So he knows him. Before he ever comes, he knows him. And that is a reminder to us right now. Jesus knows you on the inside. He knows you. He knows what you're thinking all the time. He knows what your motives are. He knows those sinful thoughts you have. He knows those pure thoughts that you have. We never need to hide anything from him because he already knows. But not only did he know him on the inside, he knew him on the outside. In verse 48, it says, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, before you ever came here, I saw you. Don't miss it, what Jesus is saying. When you were way over there, I saw you. I saw you. And that is a reminder to us wherever we go, Jesus sees us. Truly, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Truly nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ. And that is both thrilling and frightening all at the same time. Wherever I go, wherever I do, Jesus always sees me, always does. Which reminds us, and something I've shared with you before, I have shared so many times in counseling sessions with people, there is no such thing as secrecy. You're never alone. 
You are never alone. I don't care if you go in your home, close the doors, shut the curtains. I don't care if you go to a foreign country, go stay at a hotel somewhere. He's right there. He sees you. He sees you. And Nathaniel is amazed by that. He is amazed by that. How amazed is he? He says in verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And again, here we see it. We see it with Andrew. We see it with Philip. We see it now with Nathaniel in a short period of time. They have this amazing understanding that this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one the prophets foretold. He has come and he is here. Verse 49 is really interesting. Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. One commentary says this. Nathaniel probably means you are the Messiah. You are the long expected Jewish ruler that will, ber- that will bring deliverance for Israel and establish God's rule over the nations. Both the terms son of God and king of Israel were references for the Messiah. So somehow, Nathaniel already knows this and he is amazed by it. And I love what Jesus says. Verses 50 and 51. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Oh, you will see greater things than these. Of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Night. When you read verse 51, what do you think of? If you were a Jewish person at this time, your mind would immediately race backwards to the book to the book of Genesis. And when Jacob was going from Beersheba to Haran, and he comes to a place to rest, and he lays a rock under his head. I always found that really interesting that they would use rocks for pillows. <laughs> Not me. Um, and, and he falls asleep. And then we find in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 12, it says, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And Jacob sees this great ladder. It's known to this day as Jacob's ladder. And he sees the angels. What a scene ascending and descending on this ladder. And now here we are, thousands of years later. And Jesus says to Nathanael, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder but on the Son of Man. And this helps us to understand the significance of the angels going up and down. What's really interesting about this is neither in John chapter 1 nor in Genesis chapter 28 is a single word said to us why the angels were doing this. We really don't know. All we know is they were ascending and descending. It seems that what John has done is simply 
capture this whole scene from the book of Genesis, bring it into the New Testament for two reasons. One is to show us that Jesus is the decisive final connection between heaven and earth. The angels are now not going up and down on a ladder, but they're going up and down on the Son of Man. The decisive connection between heaven and earth is now Jesus. And the other truth is to say that Jesus is the place where people now meet with God, like Jacob met with God in Bethel. Now Jesus is the place where people meet with God. Jacob called that place Bethel, house of God, because he said, surely God is in this place. But don't miss it tonight, folks. Jesus is the new Bethel. Jesus is the new Bethel. He is the place where God is present. Heaven has opened and Jesus has appeared. And from now on, Jesus is the place where God appears most clearly among men and where men find their relationship and fellowship with God. No longer are there holy geographic places where, they, where we go to meet with God. Jesus is the meeting place. Jesus is now the meeting place. We don't go to a temple in Jerusalem. We don't go to the tent of meeting in the wilderness. We go to Jesus because that is where we meet with God. So Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, if you follow me, you are going to see far greater manifestations of my divine glory than what you just saw, than me seeing you under the fig tree. I am the final decisive link between heaven and earth, both upward and downward. When people want to move heavenward, they must move on the Son of God. And when God comes to meet with us, he always moves down through the Son of God, the Son of Man, both upward and downward. It is always done through Jesus as we meet with God and God meets with us. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let me try to bring this morning and this evening all together as we come to the end of John chapter 1. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John said, I saw the Spirit descend on him. And then he says, Though I baptize you with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And as I shared with you this morning, the work of the slain Lamb the redemptive work of the slain lamb is applied to a person's life. 
when they are baptized, when they are immersed with the Holy Spirit and the salvation work of Christ is applied to them and they become the sons and daughters of God and they are forgiven of all their sins. I loved what John Piper said. He said, you know, saying be baptized with the Holy Spirit is the same thing as saying receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He said it's so sad that because of Pentecostalism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is now always thought of as this second blessing where people speak in tongues. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is how you're saved. It's how you come to know Christ. When you pray to receive him, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and you become a new creation in Christ. But it doesn't end there. We then want to go and tell others, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You too can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You too can have the salvation work of Christ applied to your life. And we share with people. And we love people. They may not come right away. But we continue to share. And we continue to love them. So that they might know the Savior. And they might know the joy that we know. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Messiah has come. Help us in love, in tenderness, in joy, in boldness to share the Messiah with others. May we say with Andrew to others, we have found the Messiah. And in his name we pray. Amen.